lots and lots of spoilers. There are four billion people in the world. Well, okay. In 1981, there were four billion people in the world. Now there are... Okay, there's a lot of people in the world, okay, but only 237 of them are scanners. Oh, okay, well, that doesn't include that hippie group, which had, uh, what, like nine? So 246 of them are scanners. What about uh, outside the U.S.? Uh, uh, okay, sure, there might be some in some foreign countries. You know how hard it is to keep these things under wraps, right? So, all right, so for the f sake of argument, let's say that behind the Iron Curtain... Well, you know, the one in 1981, not the one today. There's, say, oh, 200 scanners. That means that... Well, hang on. How about... A, what about China? Okay. Okay, sure. There could be some in China. India? Uh, yeah. Yeah, India. Japan? Yeah, sure. Japan. The, the, how about the Virgin Islands? The Virgin Islands? Argentina? Yes! Yes! Argentina! Guy Lombardo? Will you knock it off? <laughs> Look, the point is, there's a lot of people in the world, but damned few of them are tuned to Max Mike movies. Be one of the elite, won't you? Oh, I, uh, I guess you already are. Well then, there's almost no reason for me to say that we're in the middle of our series. That sure was 1981, but I'm going to say it anyway. Said. Said it. Right. Well this done. Week, <laughs> surprise, surprise, we're going to be scrutinizing the movie Scanners with our minds. <laughs> oh, what's this fish doing here? Um, we are your hosts, the two of us. That one, mentally sending lewd suggestions to the pudding on the break front, is Mind Guy Max Levine. Beam us a funny, Max. That's disgusting. I know, I know, and there are two of them are llamas. The pudding's sweating. Uh, <laughs> I, sitting opposite the pudding, trying not to drool on the furniture, am Brainbender TM Mike Luce. Before we get to scanners, let's get to our poll question. Poll question. Last week, we wanted to know what movie genre or subgenre you were done with, thought it kicked the can, dried up, gone over the wall, taken the spoon. There was a surprising consensus Taking the among spoon? Answers. Yeah, you know, it's that famous saying. It's fa I don't, I think you made that up. <laughs> From our website, we have Vince rocking it way up north. He said, quote, I don't like westerns as a rule and think there isn't much left to mine in that genre, but my love of effects extravaganza is being pushed to the limit lately. You can have great effects on a budget now. Time to use them in service of innovative stories. <laughs> Sorry, couldn't. Oh, silly Vince. Not sure that is really a genre. Combined with the turning everything into a depressing, edgy remake, and I just lose my mind, end quote. All good points, and uh, I'm, I'm with you on the westerns. Thanks, Snowman. That's his official nickname now. Does he have a friend named Falcon? Uh, no. <laughs> okay. Back on Facebook, we have Dave offering up, Dave. quote, a year or so ago, I would have said that the Yakuza movie genre was done, but between Girl Haji and A Family, both on Netflix, I can't say that anymore. On a related yeah, you know, exactly the same thing I was thinking. You haven't heard of either of them. I might have. <laughs> you might, Rebus, you might. 
<laughs> On a related note, maybe Prohibition-era gangster movies. It's all been downhill since Edward G. Robinson stopped making movies. I can't even remember a strong gangster entry since The Untouchables. Has there been one? End quote. I yeah. think there has, but yeah. I can see your point. I can't I, remember if uh, Scarface came out after The Untouchables or not. That's a pretty big one. Yeah, I think there was a bunch in the 90s. Um, anyway. But that's not really Prohibition-era gangster stuff. That's uh, much later. That's Miami. Anyway, yeah, go on. Well, uh, have a bumpy puck, Daves. Daves? Daves. There's more than one. <laughs> yeah. These are the Daves I know. I know. These are the Daves I know. But before we get to that, we'll get back to Brian Mundo, who shared his opinion on Facebook as well. Quote, I think remakes from originally really good movies need to stop. They keep yeah. ruining classic movies like Aladdin. I get remakes like Ghostbusters. I think he means reboots, but I get remakes like Ghostbusters or redoing movies that were crappy like ATLA. I, I think he means Avatar The Last Airbender. But if an original was good, they need to stop trying to bleed things dry. End quote. More power to you, Brian. <laughs> yeah, yep, right there with you. And thanks. Next up, the first to go down a road that, uh, well, more than a few of you would travel as well. We have Val Coons with, quote, so done with the whole superhero thing. It's as if they're the only movies made anymore. Oh, just thought of another one. Christmas rom-coms. It seems oh, every boy. freaking holiday movie is a rom-com, at least the ones made lately. Black Christmas is definitely not in that category, nor is Bad Santa. <laughs> and Scrooge movies, no more Scrooge movies. End quote. Superheroes. Who knew? <laughs> well, I guess Matt Reisman did, as he offered, quote, I agree. I'm not necessarily done with superheroes, but I'm done with the MCU. And I'm done with Xmas movies. And I think the animal sidekick genre is played out. End quote. So, uh, I'm guessing the animal sidekick Xmas movies are uh, right out then? <laughs> well, I think especially the, uh, like Squirrel Girl Christmas movie with the animal sidekick would uh, really piss him off. Uh, oh, well. Thanks, Matt. Margaret Trouth wrote, quote, Eight-year-old me would be aghast to hear me say this, but I don't need any more Star Wars in my life ever. Uh, There's so much yeah, of it. We that. don't need more, but Disney keeps pumping it out and people keep watching it, end quote. Too much, uh, too much Star Wars. Hmm. Wow. Thanks, Peggy. You uh, you might have something there. Uh, I think she does. Brandon Day posted, quote, I've really had enough with superheroes. <laughs> the uh. fact that there's already another Batman coming infuriates me. Kudos to Marvel because the whole Avenger series was way better than I expected, but I'm out, end quote. Seems, wow. uh, seems a lot of folks are. I, I wonder if Disney knows. <laughs> Thanks, Brandon. Yeah, Disney listens to our podcast every week. Obsessively. Yeah. George Saulnier wrote, quote, Westerns. That's kind of a joke, but gangsters, mafia, organized crime, enough already, end quote. I don't think it's a joke, George. Westerns are um, very problematic at best, and, uh, well, there sure are a lot of them. Thanks. And they don't show any, shine of, any sign of going away. I mean, there's that whole series, 1883, it's doing really big. I don't know it, but whatever. Um, yeah. Haley Paulson gives us, quote, Chiming in to add to the anti-superhero group. Also, wow. live-action remakes of animated movies, TV series need to stop. I am so with her on that one. Oh, yeah. They're never good, end quote. And I, as I said, I could not agree more. But she later added, quote, Can we get rid of the self-congratulatory showbiz is the greatest, most special profession in the world films? I'm not yes, sure it has please. its own genre or not, but the trope was played out decades ago. It's just Hollywood circle jerking, end quote. Great points. Thank you. She's not wrong. She, you know, I'm right there. Yeah, absolutely. There's... Gosh, being an actor is better than saving lives. 
That always reminds me of what, one of the reasons they never brought John Stewart back to host the Oscars, because <laughs> they did a montage of all these films that had addressed various social issues. You know, Norma Ray, Atlanta, all this stuff. And after they were shown, John Stewart just has this look on his face. He looks at the camera and goes. And after those movies came out, those things were never problems again. <laughs> yeah. But a star is born. Anyway. <laughs> uh, only because they made that five times. Another shot is taken at superheroes by Adam Mark. Quote, superhero movies. There are truly so many, the market is flooded beyond saturation. They make money, I know, but they actively harm the industry by tying up talent and money in these ventures and not others. End quote. Thanks, That's Adam. That's a good point. Yeah. That's an interesting take on it, yeah. Yeah, a little diversity might be nice. Yeah. Richard Tatum posted, quote, The Mob, Snore, and frankly, any movie about how shit gets real in New York, end quote. Yes, I know I'll have to beep that. Yep, uh, yep. Well, it's what, Mob 3, Superheroes 4? It's a close game. Thank you, Richard. <laughs> uh, Westerns are coming up uh, close third, you yeah. know. Benjamin Schleiss tossed up, quote, the cop show with all the tropes such as, you're a loose cannon, X, turn in your badge. Uh, it is kind Booker's of... Booker's a good cop. <laughs> no, no, he's not. And he won't get off the Cops. hood. <laughs> it is kind of the same reason Batman isn't as cool of a superhero anymore, end quote. That is indeed something we have seen many times before. Thanks, Ben. That's a lot of answer, and we thank yeah. you all. They really add something cool to our little show. Have six tuple. <laughs> six tuple. <laughs> uh, bumpy bucks this week. The crypto oat cereal packed with frosted pucks. Max, how about <laughs> frosted bumpy pucks? Frosted pucks. Yikes! <laughs> the only way I'd eat them. Max, how yeah, about you? Yeah. Are there genres you could really just wave bye bye to? I gotta say the remake. I don't know if that counts as a genre. It's really just you know it's a, it's a financial consideration. Yeah. But the damn the especially as as a couple of people pointed out the live action remake of something animated. I don't I don't get it. I don't see the point. Uh, I don't th I don't feel it's necessary, and I feel it's been done way too many times badly. I mean, you know there is one that uh, I have to say, re fairly recently, I thought was interesting, but it wasn't a remake. It was like a side character. That was Cruella. Oh. Part of that, and it's not, it doesn't hold together because it's like really two movies, is pretty good. But again, <laughs> it's not uh, 101 Dalmatians. It's, it's a, you know, origin story. Yeah, honestly, that's another thing I could, I, I'm kind of done with, is origin stories for bad, for classic bad guys. Like we don't we don't need to know that they had daddy issues. We don't need to know <laughs> that they, you know, slept in the gutter or didn't get the right color swatch for their sweet sixteen or I don't know what. We don't need that. That's just utterly unnecessary. Yeah. How about uh, animated remakes of uh, live action classics? <laughs> <laughs> and now the animated version of It's a Wonderful Life. <laughs> I, I would I would totally go for a cartoon Casablanca. Ooh. You despise me, don't you, Rick? <laughs> yeah. yeah, I suppose if I gave you half a thought, I would. Brilliant. <laughs> Thank you. Hey, Hollywood, I, it was my idea, so, uh, <laughs> what? This is the part where you ask me. Oh, my God. Oh, God. <laughs> but that would imply I want to know. Um, so, You're trying to yeah, act, genre, aren't you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what genre are you done with? I, you know... I'm not done with superheroes necessarily. Um, it's fine. 
Um, I will say Star Wars is um, feeling a little um, packed. Yeah. Although it's funny you could think of, and I, there's a question we haven't even answered. Is like, what point does something become a genre? Yeah. Right? Like, if there's a, there has to be like a critical mass, and is Star Wars a genre? It's a subgenre, but could you consider it a genre at this point? Because basically, Star Wars won't shut up. Um, <laughs> I got to go with westerns, and the guys. The reason I have to go with westerns is for one thing, I never liked them really. The big problem too is that most westerns involve Native Americans. And it involves Native Americans badly. And they never actually confront the issues with what's actually going on. They're just the bad guys. The only thing I can say is most Westerns didn't even employ Native Americans. They had white guys, which is, I don't know if that's better or worse. <clears throat> but, uh, yeah, I, we, we know all about the West, whatever, whatever. It's basically white guys beating stuff up. I don't, even sometimes when it's just other white guys, I don't care. Um, so if they never did another Western, I'd be perfectly happy. But as is often the case, we have something new to ask. Yeah. This what's week. our, what's our question for next week? If a movie is an adaptation of something and you haven't yet read the source material, will you seek it out before, after, or at all? Are there oh. any good examples? Let us know. We'll be glad you did. Yeah. But now Intriguing. finally. Yeah, I will. We'll see. I don't know. Some, I, does a movie make you want to seek it out? Let's find out. But now, mm. finally, we're back to scanners. The show budget three point five million, sort of. Take. You <laughs> will see. We'll get to that. Fourteen point two million. Uh, hey, American. Not bad. Not that not play bad. money from Canada. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll get to that too. Right about. Um, right about now. This was not an easy shoot, nor was it long. It only took two months, but the script wasn't even finished when they started shooting. Director David Cronenberg was forced to go as quickly as he could so the whole movie could be written off. It seems Canada regularly pays for these things, but only if completed at certain times. And uh, speaking of writing off, he was writing the script nearly as fast as he was shooting it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, boy. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't actually have trouble believing that. Yeah. Cronenberg didn't want the audience to miss a thing. That exploding head bit, that was supposed to open the film, but he moved it about 10 minutes in so that latecomers wouldn't miss the fun. (laughs) That was awfully nice of him. (laughs) Wasn't it? Speaking of that exploding head, the makeup cranium was filled with chicken livers, fake blood, and dog food. It was then, (laughs) this is my favorite part, it was then shot with an actual shotgun. (laughs) Delicious. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. Um, that's thorough. Yeah. It's effective. Say what you want. It's very effective. Oh yeah. Even now when I saw it, I flinched. Yeah. There was a remake scheduled to come out in 2008, but the director of the remake said he wouldn't make the movie without Cronenberg's blessing and he didn't get it. There were also two separate announcements for TV series based on the movie, both of which amounted to nothing. Yeah, but there were, what, two sequels and then the oh, Scanner oh, oh, Cop we series? We are getting to that. Don't, okay. don't, don't you worry. Oh, good. Ephemeral, the drug used in the film to both reduce the effects of the scanner's telepathic abilities and, spoiler, also given to pregnant women to help develop new scanners, was roughly yeah. based on the thalidomide scare of the 1950s. That's what, that's what I thought, yeah. The 60s, I think. 50s. Okay. Mm-hmm. 
Michael Ironside, originally hired to play only a bit part, was eventually elevated to antagonist, but his salary wasn't similarly raised. He only oh. earned, he only earned fifty three hundred Canadian dollars for this, which is equal to about, uh, about uh, fifty three cents. bucks. Yeah, <laughs> ah, just kidding, Canada. <laughs> sorry, Vince. Sorry, Snowman. Or, excuse me. Sorry. <laughs> This film is part of the prestigious Criterion Collection. <laughs> really? Yes, it is. Wow. There were many, many sequels to this, as Max uh, uh, blurted out a moment ago, as well as <laughs> as well as a spinoff series, Scanner Cop, that ranged over twenty years. Yikes! Yeah. Although Michael Ironside's character Daryl calls Cameron his kid brother. And spoiler again, Ironside is actually four years younger than the actor who played Cameron. <laughs> I was wondering about that. He looks younger than He does and he Cameron. doesn't. But uh, do, you, uh, do you have any trivia about Scanners that you would like uh, to interject? Not really, uh, apart from Patrick McGowan is in it, and he is not a number. He is a free man. Thank you very much. We'll, we'll get to definitely get to Patrick McGowan, I'm sure, amongst <laughs> other actors in this film. Are there any other actors? Oh, well, uh, anyway, the plot. Somewhere deep in corporate America, a demonstration is being given of the power of scanners, people born with incredible mental powers. What's supposed to happen is that the presenter chooses a random member of the audience and shows how he can read the subject's thoughts. What happens instead is that the subject is secretly a scanner himself, Daryl Revick, played by top-end bad guy Michael Ironside. The presenter's head... Well, there's, uh, there's, there's no soft way to say this. Explodes. It blowed up good. Cut to Dr. Ruth. No, not that Dr. Ruth. This one's played <laughs> by Patrick McGowan, Dr. Paul Ruth. He's the master of the scanner project, working with the big bad corporation to try and identify and train these scanners before Revit can either recruit them for his swelling underground movement. Sorry, that <laughs> sounded Ooh, That sounds really dirty. <laughs> yeah. Uh, before he can either recruit them for his swelling underground movement or kill them if they don't sign up. His one hope is the last of the untested scanners, Cameron Vale, played by Stephen Lack. Vale, living on the fringes of society as he can't stand all the voices constantly in his head, has been found by Dr. Ruth... <laughs> Stop giggling. ...has been found by Dr. Ruth, brought in, and is being shown how his powers can be controlled by a miracle drug, ephemeral. With it, the voice is quiet and he can more easily focus his power. Once trained, he's set on Revik's trail. Along the way, he finds another unknown group of scanners who are trying to learn to meld their minds together into something greater than themselves. Something beautiful. Uh. Revik's hot on the trail and kills all of them, leaving their founder, Kim Orbist, and Cameron Vale the only escapees. Can Cameron and Kim turn the tables on Revik and get to him before he completes his nefarious scheme? Or will they find that things are not at all what they seem? Oh, it's too late! The, the scanners are here! No! Leave Bumpy alone! He promises to only use his powers for good! <laughs> the end. <laughs> the lowdown. So, <laughs> scanners. <laughs> Criterion oh. Collection. My first line is, ah, David Cronenberg, you haunting, whimsical fellow. <laughs> now, why did you write that? Because of the head exploding? <laughs> yes. And just, you know, Cronenberg, I, look, the guy actually is a remarkable director, but ew! The guy is so into friggin' body horror. Well, so it's interesting. I looked him up because it's like, it's, it's a name that's fairly well known. Here's the thing that I wasn't, I was a little surprised to find is that 
the number of films that he's done that I've heard of is actually pretty small. Yeah, I, he's not terribly widely known. I'd say his biggest hit was The Fly, which would come only five years Ugh. later. And I think The Fly, I generally don't like remakes. I honestly think he not only did a really good job, but he really made it his own. The only thing he oh, really yeah, kept... Oh, yeah, did he ever. <laughs> he, he kept the whole teleportation booth thing and the fact that the subject, uh, the, the scientist, uses his thing on himself and mixes his DNA with a fly. Let's face it, that doesn't make any sense, but who cares? Mm-hmm. But it was pretty successful film um yeah it's it's really well made it's just really gross it is and it, it's is hard to fly eats yeah. um, and let's face it it also helped bring um um jeff goldblum jeff goldblum to much more to a prominent uh yes oh i'm a, i'm a, i'm a guy crossed crossed with a with a fly i guess uh that's that's a <laughs> That's, that's what's happening here. Uh, I have wings or something. No, I don't have wings. Okay. Uh, I have compound eyes. Yeah. Brilliant. Um. <laughs> Uncanny. It was like he was here at, he recording with us, wasn't it? I suddenly want to buy an apartment. Um, <laughs> the thing I was not very surprised to find out was that in the um, early 2000s, he actually kind of switched careers, and he's actually been doing a lot of acting, most notably recently in Star yeah. Trek Discovery. <laughs> That's right, as creepy Starfleet guy. <laughs> yeah, but he's good for him. Um, apparently, I was listening to one of my favorite uh, podcasts that talk about Star Trek, and apparently they got him because he was, quote, around. Like, <laughs> he's in Canada where they're shooting the thing, and they're like, hey, uh, can we get David Cronenberg in here to do this? Sure, okay. Why not? Yeah. But he actually has a lot of credits for acting. I was very surprised. He has actually almost as many acting credits as he does director credits. Huh. Um, but yeah, he's one of those those directors that I thought there was a lot more behind him than there was, and it was all slasher films, and it's it's not. I'm not saying that things don't No, no, it's throws, not slasher but... films. He, does, he did a bunch of horror films. He did a bunch of you know, Dead Ringers. He just does a lot of movies about body horror about terrible things happening to, to your body did you see videodrome i did not okay that's that was his next big one after this um so that sounded even more unpleasant i i it's funny i had a question in the credits in the opening credits what are micro effects it's, it's i'm gonna have to Somebody's, do with microscopic i don't know i mean they're really <laughs> i mean they just like i've never heard that term in, in a film credit micro effects mm. i do Okay, I just wondered if it was obvious. So it was Microsoft? I don't know. <laughs> the computers, oh boy. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, let's, I wanna go, don't want to go too much into that, but yeah. you know, David Cronenberg may know some stuff about filmmaking. He didn't know anything about computers. No, no. Yes, a computer has a nervous system just like a human being. Yeah. No, it doesn't. <laughs> I think it was, we were, I, my note, we're, we're skipping way ahead. My note for that was that's where they lost me. Um, that, and that I was actually thought, I wish that what had happened was that Cameron, the rogue scanner or whatever, just called into ConSec and mentally controlled the person on the end of the, end of, of the phone, the programmer. I'd have been fine. That would have made more sense. I'm yeah. sorry. But I kind of like the idea that he could mind control a computer. It's just the way they try to explain it. I mean, first off, let, let's take a step back. Scanners are these people who can scan. Now, Patrick well, McGowan, Dr. Ruth, ex- who explains <laughs> that you should be having Zexon, Zexon, Zex all the time. Yeah. Is, is, uh, I, I'm sorry. I had a lot of trouble once that hit me. Yeah. It was hard. To, I, it's totally unfair, but I that's all I could think of. Because she wouldn't show and, up know, for a few years, but whatever. Yeah, yeah. Also, but, but why uh, would you name a guy Dr. Ruth? I mean, I guess, Babe I Ruth, whatever. Make, 
No, it's kind of clever. It tries to make him seem harmless. It tries to, you know, the emphasis, the idea is that he's the good guy. All right, let's get to your point because we're going to start get, uh, edging into the acting, which I do want to talk about. So yeah, your point, yeah. let's get to your point, then we'll come back to the acting. Yeah, they call, talk about scanning, Yeah, uh, that these people can scan. And then scanning appears to be a catch-all, even though uh, Dr. Patrick McGowan keeps ex- try- saying it's telepathy. Right. That ain't telepathy. Because they're moving things around, they're setting things on fire. Yeah. It's it's telekinesis, it's it's pyrokinesis, it's mind control. It's basically the whole gamut of psychic powers. And I don't know why they just have to, f- they feel they have to use one word for it. Well, as we found out from my little bits of research, it's because they were literally writing this as they were shooting Yeah, it. yeah. This <laughs> is not sh- by the... <laughs> it's a shame because I actually think there's some cool ideas here. There are. There's a number of them. And again, I, I thought it was real interesting, the fact that they were playing on the fears of the thalidomide cri- uh, tragedy back in the 50s and 60s. Those well, of you who don't know, thalidomide was uh, supposed to be a wonder drug that, uh, you know... It was supposed could, to be a, a um, uh, relaxant, I think it was supposed it to was, be. Yeah, it was a mild anesthetic. It was supposed to cure insomnia, but they were also giving it to pregnant women because yeah. it uh, helped cure morning sickness. And it did. The problem was it also caused massive birth defects. Right. It damaged the fetuses pretty drastically. They're still using thalidomide, by the way. They use it. It's a cancer treatment. I thought it was a they floral <laughs> <laughs> It's both. They just don't use it on pregnant women. And it was it was a huge, it was a, just a terrifying thing. And people got really distrustful of a lot of medications. Yeah. This is also, by the way, the early 80s is when we were starting to get more like psychic movies. We were getting things like The Fury, Mm-hmm. along with the uh, supernatural ones. People were starting to get really interested in psychic phenomena. You know, after the 60s and 70s, the psychedelic stuff, the so-called CIA MK Ultra experiments, depending if you believe in those or not. Well, I, you know, my tinfoil hat's right here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or, or, so, orbital mind control lasers, all that stuff. Also, this isn't the first time somebody used the term scanners. Uh, it I've was first right yeah. here. <laughs> the first I've seen yeah, was in uh, a 1965 short story by Cordwainer Smith called Scanners Live in Vain. Oh. And their scanners aren't psychic. They're basically cyborgs. Oh, okay. Yeah, I mean, it's... The thing is, is that the way that the whole scanner thing is rolled out actually turns out to be really interesting. First off, we have... Uh, let's get to the acting, because I want to, and it's okay. connected to this anyway. Uh, oh. We have one actor in this film. His name is Patrick McGowan. Patrick McGowan has been around forever. He is known probably best for... Probably not best for Danger Man. It was a British TV series, but it led into what he is known best for, which is considered by a lot of high-end critics to be some of the best television ever made, and that's a British series called The Prisoner. I mostly find The Prisoner interesting and nearly incomprehensible yeah yeah that Um, covers it he is he's known for being very picky about his roles um and being very what's the word i want not controlling but he doesn't he doesn't like to do stuff that's dumb and apparently he was interjecting his own opinions here and there on this film which is fine he appeared i think four or five times on columbo yep he strangely was on murder she wrote (laughs) <laughs> hey, if you're on Columbo, it's pretty much a free pass to murder you, she wrote. Yeah. Uh, what I did not know is that he was an Irish actor born in England, soon moved to Ireland when he was young, but he has this accent that could be here, it can be a Irish, it could be American, like, he's able to sort of just pull off this yeah. 
thing. I don't know. But he brings a real gravitas to this movie. And I honestly don't think it would work at all without him. And as soon as he shows up, I don't know about you, but one of my earliest notes was, how long before we find out Dr. Ruth is a scanner? I was wrong. <laughs> yeah. But his part's actually way more interesting than that. Yeah. My first thought was, you know, he first shows up and Cameron is tied down to a bed. I'm like, why are you creepily stroking his ankle? <laughs> you know, That was weird. It, and it later it kind of makes sense. Yeah, yeah, it so, does. They tie it together. Although, again, I really think that was something that Mr. Cronenberg did not know on page one and no. decided it as he was writing it. <laughs> Although, to be fair, if they shot out of order, maybe he did. But, yeah, probably not. Um, yeah, our, yeah. Our, our, ostensibly, our male lead here is an actor named Steve, Stephen Lack, and I will say that his performance is lacking. <laughs> yeah, what he lacks is, you know, personality. He, he's okay. He's competent. He's, he's a really very nice least... shade of maple or yeah, ash. Yeah. Pick a wood. <laughs> yeah, you, you do sit there and wonder, oh boy, if he stands there too long, is he going to get spruce bark beetles? <laughs> a very wooden performance. He's, he's just not very interesting. Yeah, apparently he's better known as a painter. I looked him up. That's a dubious claim. Oh dear. <laughs> just saying. And it's a shame because Michael Ironside, and this yeah. must this is an early role for him. Michael Ironside is awesome. He always is. I know he always almost always gets cast as a bad guy. But he's so good at it. He's so good at being menacing and walking the line between brilliant and just out of control psychopath. I have to say, too, there is a scene in this film where what we're actually ostensibly watching is some hidden camera footage of him having been brought in as a crazy person. And his performance as the crazy person is actually really good. It's not it's just his usual unsettling. mustache twirling or his Michael Ironsiding. And yeah, I'll watch Michael Ironside anything. Yeah. I don't care. He's always fun. Oh, and it's a disturbing because he, what he is there for is he drilled a hole in his own forehead. Yeah. To let Yikes. the voices out. Yeah. Yeah. And you believe it. Meeting him in you that do. film. Yep. <laughs> totally believe it. Although so I have to say he has a little latex scar on his forehead that isn't always there. <laughs> it, it appears and disappears in different scenes. You uh, might have noticed that in the, uh, I think it's in the opening scene where he yep, uh, caused the head to explode. It's, it's not there. It is not there. No. Um. And we have some other actors in here. I, I, you know, if we're being nice, I guess we'll say there's some other actors. Um, no, there are. I mean, uh, what's her name? Who plays? Exactly. Uh, exactly. Who plays Kim? I yeah, think her sure. name is she's... Kim Ober. I remember the character's name, Kim Oberst. I don't remember the actors. Yeah, I, I'm, uh, I'm going to go with who cares. Not, yeah, she's totally uninteresting. The guy who played the artist, Peter, uh, uh, what was his name? Peter Benjamin, Benjamin? Pierce. Benjamin Pierce, Benjamin Franklin Pierce, sure. or Hawkeye. He, he was the only one I said was actually worse than the guy playing uh, uh, the, our lead there, Mister yeah. Mr. Lack. He's he's trying to to be interesting, and he just mostly comes off as petulant. Uh, just almost maybe he's just impatient to get out of the movie. Um, he's also a scanner, and although he and he also was was uh, cuckoo for cocoa puffs, uh, yeah. but he ended up using art to help get rid of his his issues. I think his art's actually pretty interesting. One of the it's things he's creepy as hell, but it, yeah, it is. But it's not like the rest of the film that was kind of thrown together. It actually yeah. feels like there was some thought put into this. When when Cameron goes looking for him to try and make a connection, one of the pieces of art is this giant sculpted head that's actually hollow and has a room in it. And yeah. it's very 
symbolic and I thought it was actually really interesting. There's a bunch of stuff in this film that I think is interesting. So later when when Cameron, uh, well, what happens is he meets up with Benjamin Pierce, and just after he meets up with Benjamin Pierce, the hitmen show up and kill Benjamin Pierce. And has, on his uh, his last dying gurgle, he apparently manages to say Kim Obrist, which I'm glad Cameron figured out because I have no idea what he was saying. Kim Obrist seems to be an unknown scanner, and she has a bunch of unknown scanners with her. And I say this because earlier in the film, it seems like Dr. Ruth has accounted for all 236 Cameron's 237 and all of them apparently are either with have signed up to be with Michael Ironside or they're dead except for this group which is what they're trying to do is also really interesting so these are people that have found solace or comfort in each other and they're trying to meld their minds together they're trying to create a group mind yeah and it's a really cool and you can't see anything, of course, it's all mental. But basically, it's these people joining and fully opening themselves to each other to create something greater than themselves. And it's like, you usually don't see that with mental stuff. Usually, it's somebody who starts shooting beams out their eyes or yeah. causes people's head to explode. Um, and this was something where it's like, we, we don't get to see them do anything with it because they're literally there long enough to get shot. Yeah, that's really kind of disappointing. This is this really interesting group of characters who get about six minutes of screen time. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I kind of get it because, you know, we're trying to push things along. And, you know, that's that's understandable. I do appreciate Mr. Cronenberg not taking any longer than he have to. But um, it's a shame because there's some, again, there's some interesting ideas in here. We just don't, we don't really get an, a, a sense of what they're for. Um, later on, we, we well, we already know that Michael Ironside's forming a group, and that's a lot of the hitmen are made up of this group or from this group. Um, what's he going to do? I mean, sure, he talks about, uh, I will conquer the earth, or whatever. Well, but, no, he does. In the last, eventually in the last sequence, he says he's going to, you know, take over, the, he's going to take over the world, Pinky, <laughs> and, uh, you know, force the normals in, in, in to obey him, and he's going to create a paradise where the scanners are in charge. Yeah. And I'm not the, sure how. Uh, and also, the way he's doing it, as it turns out, first of all, ephemeral or vibranium or whatever, <laughs> yeah, magic stuffium, both inhibits scanner powers and creates them. I, That's I an awfully handy drug. Well, but here's the thing. It only creates them at a certain point. During True. pregnancy. You, yeah, yeah. If it's injected into pregnant women, it, they give birth to scanners, apparently. And or his big can. thing is... He, his, it, or can. We don't know that they <laughs> definitely do, but there's a chance True. that they do. It's a, pos it's a possibility that apparently... Yeah. And uh, that is... Uh, Michael Irons... Uh, sorry. Uh, Revix. Yeah, Daryl Revix. Sure. Because, I'm sorry, I, I just watched the movie and go, Oh, it's Michael Ironside! But... <laughs> But uh, Re Revik's plan is to, he's getting all these doctors to prescribe it to pregnant women, and he's creating an entirely new generation of scanners. All over the place, outside of his direct control. It's kind of odd. Why? I thought he would have, like, breeding farms or some such. <laughs> or um, uh, pods, if you will. Or pods. Uh, I. So here's the twist. The twist is we're watching... Um, Patrick Magoo and Dr. Ruth. <laughs> uh, and he's working with Consec, which is a big bad corporation, which was one of that was a very common thing in the 80s to have big bad oh, yeah. corporations be the bad guys. 
They're still doing it. It's, and they, it's a trope yeah, that's lasted. Because it's true. Yeah. Um, and he has funding with them, and he started this project decades ago, and he's in charge of it. And they're basically threatening to cut off his funding, so to speak. And he's basically like, uh, and who else are you going to get? And what we don't <laughs> realize is that scanners were created by him. Yeah. And there's actually this really cool scene where, at the end of the film, Michael Ironside's character, Revic, is telling Stephen Black's character, Cameron, we're actually brothers. Our father is Dr. Ruth. And here's an ad in a Time magazine talking about ephemeral back in the mm. 50s and how wonderful it was. And it, this is where the whole thalidomide thing comes in. Yeah. And what basically what happened is somehow, I'm guessing, Dr. Ruth... <laughs> <laughs> Have ephemeral all the time. Uh, just finds out the side effect of this drug. Decides he, it's one of those coulda not shoulda things, right? That scientists yeah. do. So I don't even have a problem with his motivation. He just wants to see where this can go and how. Now the fact that it turns out that hey, it kind of makes people crazy and nobody's in control. Okay, that's not very well thought out. But um, so he first injects it into his own kids or into his wife. Yeah, and and, they, and has the kids, and they are actually brothers, which they don't even know each other exists. Or I, that's that's fair. I, I suppose Michael Ironside found out. But that twist I did not see coming at all. I know you'd seen the film before you watched it for this, but do you remember when you saw the film if you had seen that coming? I did not. No, that caught me by surprise. In fact, it comes out as such a surprise. I was like, yeah, you just came up with that as a way to wrap this up, didn't you? Because it doesn't make any sense. Really, it doesn't. It's like, oh, so he created these two kids and then just, what, dumped them out in the world? He didn't want to try to raise them and uh, train them and and study them the way a scientist would? Um, did you get any good father vibes off him? Because I sure did. Not so many. Although he comes <laughs> off initially, he's he's kind of paternalistic, except he's also very, very much about his own agenda. So yeah, that really it, it's a it's an interesting twist, but it feels very last minute. It feels very tacked on. I liked it, but also I can see that I will not say that you don't have a point uh, because you do, and as the research shows, it was actually in this case factually <laughs> accurate. Yeah. Um, I also got to say. The the board of directors of Consec are idiots. <laughs> well, oh at least they have a God. good security team. <laughs> oh yeah, but I okay. I get why Keller, who ends up, is, turns out, is working with Revic, is like, oh no, we don't need to do this scanner stuff. This is just tell uh, a bunch of what is it, mental oddities. So you don't think a resource of having people who can read minds and assassinate people? And move things around with their brains. You don't think that's useful? You don't think that could possibly be beneficial to a security company? Yeah. What is wrong? How do you people stay in business? Well, the best part is when there's an alarm because, of course, Cameron breaks in. Um, as far as I can tell, the security guards all scatter. Because yeah, we never so see them again. Oh, no, a crisis. Run away. <laughs> yeah. Um, the, and this eventually, we, we get a nice scanner battle at the end where we have that moment where one of the two of them yells, Tetsuo! And the other <laughs> eight yells. Because <laughs> that's really what it looks like. And to be fair, this does predate Akira. So. Yeah, the final scanner battle between you know uh, Cameron and uh, Revik is pretty disturbing. It's... Well, it's also, there's another twist in there, 
which is very, I did not see coming and was also kind of disturbing. So yeah. basically Cameron realizes he doesn't have what it takes to fully kill off uh, his younger, wait, older, older brother. Older brother, yeah. <laughs> his older brother, uh, Revik, Daryl Revik. So he basically throws everything he can into destroying Revik and then sends his own mind in place of somebody else in the room. And it was like, but wow. no, he goes into he goes into Revic's body. Oh, that's he lets he sorry. lets Revic in effect destroy his him. body. He stops fighting and, him physically. And pushes pushes Revic out. Yeah, it's sorry actually yeah, it's a very interesting tactic, of course. And somehow, for some reason, this changes Revic's eye color from brown to blue. You notice that, huh? <laughs> yeah. Now I get it because that's how they're indicating to the audience that um, it actually is Cameron. Of course, then the movie just stops. It's like it's over. We won, and here roll credits. Well, I don't. Well, well, we'll get to that. Clearly, I didn't mind that so much. I thought it was interesting, but um, other things that we had in here. So uh, the score, Howard Shore. You might remember him from Lord of the Rings, but this is early '80s, so it's not going to be the Howard Shore you know. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, a lot of synthesizer music. (laughs) It actually really reminded me of the score to Andromeda Strain. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I can see that very. Very tech pop, yeah, yeah. Uh, in Strange, I don't know why I like that movie as much as I do. If you haven't seen it, it's one of Michael Crichton's stories, and although this one he actually directs. Uh, oh no, yeah, he no, he wrote the screenplay, that's right, yeah. It's a it's basically we send something into space. Oh no, it seems to have come back with some sort of alien plague thing on it, and we vague sort of find out that they may have been the point all along. And the entire movie is literally about trying to find out what this thing is and trying to stop its effects before it gets out and destroys everything. There is no action at all. It takes place in a giant space lab underneath Arizona or whatever. And I really like that movie. I cannot tell you how many times I've watched that film. And I'm going to tell you right now, I think it's maybe potentially one of um, Cronenberg's favorite films, too, because there's a lot of stuff in this film that yeah. reminds me of that movie. Not least at the very end after the credits where there's the self-destruct thing. Did you did you watch mm-hmm. all the way through? Yeah. Oh, wait. The, oh, you mean the end of the credits? No. Yeah. So the credits are done on the computer screen because that was hip, I guess. But at the end, you see it do its self-destruct thing. Like, that gets rid of oh, all the okay. information about ephemeral or whatever. Yeah. Um, the ripe program. Yep. The end of the credits in Andromeda Strain show an error message because the um, small colony oh, of, of Andromeda right. grows so big that the computer can't comprehend its size and its growth rate. And it goes 601, 601, 601. Anyway, so I, I think there was definitely some um, parallels there. You know what this movie made me hungry for, though? What? Hot Pogo. Did you see that? What? It was early in the film, the opening of the film. Oh, in uh, the food court? Yeah, he's sitting in front of this sign, oh, and yeah. I think it's a corn dog. And there's this like bear character, <laughs> and there's a kangaroo, and it just says, yep. hot pogo. Nothing, <laughs> not try some, not eat some, just hot pogo. I would, yeah. Okay. also want to uh, point out that you should beware men in trench coats. Always. Oh, trench coats <laughs> always are evil. Yeah. No one in a trench coat is will ever do a nice thing. Yeah, not not until Columbo. But <laughs> and never ever doubt the power of Michael Ironside. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Where's yep. Matthew Starr? Yeah. <laughs> um, the that, dubbing I, in this film's of, terrible. Oh, I'm sorry, Max. Uh, please. No, just uh, one thing I wanted to. I thought was interesting is this is one of the movies where the mind powers aren't visible at all. 
thankfully. There's no, there's no like their eyes don't glow. This isn't like Village of the Damned, Electro, uh, <laughs> or any of that. Yeah, there's no like halo around them. Right. Unfortunately, what this usually means is to demonstrate the effort they're making. <laughs> they look like they are ha- passing a kidney stone, <laughs> or having, or like they really, really need to take a dump. Or I mean, they are. Or they are in the middle of taking the world's <laughs> largest dump. There's a yeah. whole lot of straining and uh, eyes rolling back. and Yeah, <laughs> and forgetting how to speak Japanese. Yeah, that whole thing. <laughs> uh, the one thing I will say, though, when we're first introduced to what it's like for the scanners to hear the voices, I thought it was really effective. So we've got... Cameron strapped to a bed, and he doesn't know what's going on, neither do we. And it seems to be in some sort of loft, because there's a stairway, and people are coming up, and as they're coming up, we hear them all talking about things, and it's it's just crowd noises, people talking, and mostly what we see is sort of a mid-shot of them passing by. We don't see faces. They're just meant to be a crowd of people. And we see Cameron getting more and more uptight. And then when we pull back, we realize nobody's talking. Yeah, none of their mouths are moving at all. He's hearing their thoughts. Yeah. And that's actually really effective. And clearly, the more people come into the room, he starts writhing and thrashing, and he gets yeah. much more agitated because he. It, and it basically, the doctor is proving it's like, okay, yeah, this guy's a scanner, and he's a really sensitive scanner. He can really pick up a lot. Well, as we find out later, he knows very well he's a scanner because it's his son. Yeah, you know. Um, but yeah, little things like that I thought were very effective. Like when he when he's in the food court getting himself some hot pogo. <laughs> Um, he hears two people making comments mentally about him because he's looks like a homeless person and is a homeless person. And apparently what happens because he's untrained is he tries to force their thoughts out. And what he does, it ends up doing, I think, is he's forcing their thoughts back and it wor- creates a sort of feedback. That he, causes- he gives one of them a seizure, basically. Yeah. Which, again, I thought was actually pretty interesting, not only because it wasn't instantaneous, but because there's no, you know, horrible beams coming out or whatever. And as he says, he wasn't, when the doctor asks him, well, why did you do that to that woman? He says, I didn't do anything. She was doing it. Yeah. So he didn't even he was know. Just, he was just put, he just, he, he couldn't stand hearing the thoughts, so he was pushing them back at her. Yeah. Um, later on, we get, uh, there's a point where, uh, He's been taken in, and Dr. Ruth, yeah, I know, uh, is trying to help him learn to control. And so they're like, hey, we're going to have you learn from this yoga instructor, who's apparently Lennon. <laughs> yeah, he does. Yeah, yeah he better doesn't to really teach look yoga like... than Lennon. Okay. And I don't mean John Lennon. <laughs> no, no. Um, the dubbing in this film's terrible. If you listen to it with headphones at all, you can tell uh, mostly Patrick McGowan is fine. Um, Michael Ironside is fine, but, uh, Stephen Lack is, I don't know if they dubbed him because the microphone didn't work or his original <laughs> performance wasn't very good either way. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty bad. There's also a really, really sad scene where, uh, the bad guy scanners are running after the good guy scanners and they, they go through a record store and they destroy all these <laughs> records. Uh, no, that vinyl. No, the tragedy, the vinyl, the vinyl. Yeah. I was just in there adding up dollar signs. Oh my God, do you have an idea with how much that's worth? But um, I have to say, some of these so-called assassins are unbelievable crap shots. When they're <laughs> shooting Benjamin Pierce, there's four people with shotguns, and they're blowing the hell out of the entire room, and maybe two of them hit him. And he's yeah. not even running, he's just sort of lurching around. Yeah. 
He gets yeah. to the, his loft. He, he's escaping to his bed, apparently. And yeah. he gets most of the way up the ladder before they actually hit him. And it's like, if there's yeah. one place you can usually hit somebody, it's when they're on a ladder. But whatever. Yeah, yeah. And again, Kron there are a couple of little Cronenberg touches. Cronenberg is really just good at making you go, ah! The fact that the ephemeral has to be injected into the base of the thumb. Yeah. Ah! Yeah. I don't know if, you, if anyone has done this. But that is one of the worst places to have a needle. I have had this done. It hurts like hell. Well, think about it. Have you ever like put your hand down accidentally in like a piece of yeah. broken glass? Of course it hurts. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the thumb jelly is very sensitive. <laughs> yes, that's what uh. it's called, thumb jelly. Yep, yep. Thank you, Dr. Max. Um, uh. Would you like to get to our talking points? Yeah, yeah, let's do that. Was this film a standout for the year 1981? Yeah, I think so. Everyone was talking about this. Even people I knew who hadn't seen it. Everyone knew that the poster, they knew that line about the scanners are winning. I yeah. think so. Yeah, uh, I'm one of those people. I hadn't seen it until two days ago, and yeah. three days ago, and I, I've been quoting about it. It's only 4 million and 203, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> um, I, and it, you know, if you look at the budget, uh, Canada did pretty well, because they put in three and yeah. got back 14, so, you know. Yeah. Did this film significantly affect films that came after it? I think so. I, I think they you had a lot more of like interest in the Stephen King movies that came out in the I think the eighties and nineties, like uh, Firestarter or The Dead Zone, a bunch more about psychic abilities. Uh, I, I also think the sort of gross out effect really did have an influence. We see a lot more of that. Oh, I'm going to say the last point especially because I'm sure that rest of Hollywood was like, what the head exploded. Wait, we we can do that? <laughs> oh, here, hold my micro yeah. beer or whatever. Yeah, I don't remember if the Fury came out before or after this, but that one they sort of like, oh, you had head explode? We're going to have entire bodies explode. Well, and then it wasn't too many more years that we'd get RoboCop, right? Yeah, oh, and yeah. the scene where Murphy gets Ugh. killed, quote-unquote, is just brutal. Oh, it's incredible. The whole movie is incredibly bloody, gory, and horrifying. Yeah. And I'm sure in Tarantino was like, oh, goody, 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 goody. <laughs> but uh, so I would yeah, say, so, yeah. 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 Does this movie reflect 1981? Yeah, I think so. Again, we were talking about the thalidomide scare, which was still, I think, in the public consciousness, even though it had been 20 years. Uh, the, the idea of the evil corporations. Um, really hear any music and this is of course canada so Couldn't not really the, yeah well been a lot of rush <laughs> i i think yeah I, th I think so the distrust of authority that kind of thing especially the big corporation thing um big corporation government being the bad guy we would see this in comic books a lot in the 80s mm. Um, it's a little early for things like american flag but american flag the dark knight returns um even Ronan to, to some extent, you would see, you know, and TV people, boy, did we start to distrust TV in the eighties. Mm. Um, but anyway, any sort of big voice of authority, and it's not like this wasn't true in the sixties and seventies, but specifically corporate badness seemed to be a big theme of the eighties. And I don't think this film started it, but I think that it helped pe make people go, Hey, yeah, that's a, we should do more of that. Like the head exploding. <laughs> So I would say that it does. Um, yeah. I've gone through most of my notes, Max. How about you? I'm sorry. I just have to bring this up. I know it's not really a big point. The personal computer had only come out in 1980, really, the first IBM PCs. 
And clearly nobody in this who was part of this movie knew anything about how computers work. Because that whole sequence, never mind when he's reading the computer's mind, but when the corporate bad guys are trying to stop him and they're, well, we could use the self-destruct. <laughs> okay, but you know that would destroy all our data irrevocably because we have never heard of backups which have existed since 1960. We, have, we don't know about backing up our data. We don't know about data tapes. But, well. And somehow, not only does destroying the data, which would simply be this, as simple as formatting the drives, <laughs> it sends... It, it, the computers begin blowing up, firing sparks, throwing people across the room, and my favorite, melting the telephone that he is talking on. Okay. First off, I think that that was supposed to be him, the computer, because they kept saying, no, 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 there's nothing physical. You won't even see anything. So they got that part right. That, I think, was him messing with stuff. Why he's melting his own phone. Eh. Yeah, I, that was just a bit much. I will give them a pass because I think not only did the makers of this film not know much about computers, the average person didn't either. I know. That's true. They probably They were basically magic boxes at this point. The other thing that I really really liked that they did that I've never heard anywhere else is when they would type something into the computer for it to give them an answer. We did not hear the usual nonsense clicking and clacking of relays or chiming or beeps. We actually heard the sound of the tape moving, which is yeah. what it would have done. And it's like, I've never heard that before. Um, but that being said, and, and nobody said I'm in, <laughs> I, I, I got to give point. them points for that. Yeah. But, um, yeah, so otherwise, yeah. That's well, it. then, perhaps we should get to our roundup. Yeah. The roundup. So, Max. Yeah. You had seen this. Do you rem- uh, you saw, Did you see it in the theater when it came out? No, I did not. I saw it on uh, a, an ancient technology called a video tape. Uh, I don't know that. Yeah. <laughs> in so, a, which we played on a vicar. Mm. What you you mean a priest? Yep, you had to shove it into him and <laughs> shove the tape into the priest. His <laughs> eyes light up. Aim him at the wall. It's That's it exactly. Everyone had one. Uh, yes, I, I saw it on videotape. I don't know, ten years later, fifteen years later. Oh wow. Okay. And what was your opinion at the time? Mostly ew. <laughs> I'm sorry. The the head exploding really creeped me out. It grows gross. But I remember thinking, wow, this Michael Ironside guy is badass. Yeah. And we'd see a uh, lot more of him. I thought it was really interesting because it was a very different take on those sort of psychic uh, phenomena. There weren't a lot of those. Mm-hmm. I mean, usually it was just the guy with the psychic powers was either congenitally insane or a monster. or It wasn't just the idea that, yeah, these are just people who are trying to deal with something, and some of them deal with it well, and some of them deal with it badly. Mm. Yeah, I, I remember, I thought it was pretty interesting. And how about for, for this show? You saw it yesterday, so... Uh, I really, uh, it makes a great deal of sense when you tell me that he hadn't finished writing it when they were <laughs> filming it, because it really comes off as, I don't know where this is going, I'm just writing it along. I mean, the ending comes out of nowhere in a lot of ways. It's interesting, but it's like, well, this is an ending to a different movie, but sure... Uh, I think it still kind of works. It's a little slow-paced for uh, you know modern audiences, and the acting is really, except for McGowan and Ironside, is nothing to write home about. Mm. But the directing is pretty interesting. I think the pacing is 
like I say, it's a little slow, but it's appropriate for the time. I think it's okay. I think it's really interesting in a historical context. Mm. It ain't fun, but <laughs> what about you? You didn't. You had, this is the first time you've seen it, right? Yes. Yes. No. We our gaming group was making fun of it back in 1981, 1982, and yep. as it turns out, I didn't realize this at the time. None of us had seen it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Nobody. Um, I was expecting. I knew about the head exploding. If you know anything about scanners, you know about the head exploding. Everyone knew, yeah. I expected a lot more of that. I expected it to be a really gory, gross film. And quite honestly, there's two scenes that are really kind of gory and gross, and that's the very beginning and the very end. It's a very cheaply made film, and it feels very cheap. It's not entirely un-TV (laughs) movie-like. Yeah, I can And see I say that. that because it's very brightly lit. And this is something that that uh, Cronenberg seems to do, which I don't understand. The Fly was not. But I was looking at a Videodrome, which is another one of his films. And same thing. It seemed to, all the scenes were all very brightly lit. And it gave a very cheap feel to the, to the film. Um, I would like to have seen it a little bit more atmospheric. Uh, I don't know how the hell he got Patrick McGowan to do it. I think there's a really good story in here. And like you... I think the idea of the mentally capable people here, the the cyanicists or whatever, and the way they're depicted is actually pretty cool. There's they're not overblown. Okay, yes, the constipation could probably be done. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but they're just people. Yeah, most of them. Just- yeah. And I really like the side bits, like the little commune of people trying to create a hive mind. It's like. In a way, I appreciate that 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 was taken out of the equation because where could that go? Like, that's a whole whole, thing. Yeah, that's a whole other movie. Mm -hmm. This film, in a way, reminds me of some actual Latter-day films that we've covered. Like, uh, what was that time travel film we did? Um, Uh, Which we did a whole bunch. um, We did a whole series. Yeah, yeah. I think it was Canadian, and it was made for $5. Oh, the one one about the the, uh, shipping container? Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've completely forgotten. Me too. Maybe I, I'll maybe but, I'll just cut it in. But anyway, it feels like that or primer. A uh, primer that was the name of it. Yeah, that, yeah. Cube, things like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Where it's like we don't have a lot of money, but we have a pretty cool idea and we want to make a film. Yeah. Um, yeah. He just didn't have time. I think if he had had time to go over the script and make things a little bit more coherent, there's actually some really cool ideas here. Um, I will say, unlike some special effects, especially makeup effects of films of this time, that head is still really effective. Because yeah. the way they cut, the it looks enough like the guy yeah. that the frame or two you see of the head, and he's placed right where he should be, and knowing that there's literally somebody crouched behind it with a hot gun, <laughs> it does exactly what it, it's supposed to do, and yeah. it looks really effective. Um, the Tetsuo Kanada scenes are a little bit much, but um, I'm actually glad I finally watched this. It's yeah. it's a really, I think it's a really interesting mix to this whole 1981 thing. It's not a great film. Don't get me wrong. Um, it has a lot of problems, but I think there's a germ of a really good idea. And maybe somebody will come around someday and with Cronenberg's blessing, if he mm. can get his ass off Star Trek, um, <laughs> that we will see a better version of this film made. But having said that, would you having, remind us please what our poll question for this week is? I shall. I shall not be argumentative like some people I know. I have no idea who you're talking about. So we would like to know if a movie is an adaptation of something, 
and you haven't read the source material, to be fair, if it's an adaptation, it could be from another film or a movie or TV, whatever. Whatever the media. If you've even sought out the source material, will you seek it out before said adaptation comes out, after, or not at all? Do you have any good examples? Let us know. To let us know, I would suggest the following. Emailing us directly at us at maxmikemovies.com, which connects to our website where we have all of our back issues or bell episodes all 100 and however many of them there are and that's of course maxmikemovies.com where you could leave a comment on a specific episode heck you can even give us suggestions like this whole series was a suggestion from you folks pick a specific year and heck you helped us pick a year so thank you for that um you could leave comments on facebook where a lot of people like to do uh heck I'll give you 10 times bumpy bucks if somebody leaves a comment on Twitter, because we're there as well. <laughs> Both places, Max Mike Movies, our poor six little followers. Uh, um, or is it seven now? I think it's seven, actually. Uh, and last They're surging. <laughs> oh, yeah, sure. We're influencers. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, of course, you're probably listening to this on a podcast app of your choice, such as the Google Podcast app or the Apple Podcast app. You might find us on iHeartRadio or... Um, Scan Spotify, 2000, or... Spotify, whatever was out there. But we're uh, we're coming to an end of 1981. Uh, we're yep. going to have to wrap up a decade. So, Max, what film to you will wrap up not only this series, but the entire year of 1981? And, and oh, put it so all much pressure. Context. Yeah. So much pressure. What pick? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, just, I realized of the uh, movies we've done for this, we have done no animation. Oh. Yes, and they invented that then. They had just six months before. Ooh! So I looked for you know what were the major animated films of 1981. Well, that was kind of a disappointing crop, but there was one I thought was really interesting—an attempt to bring animation more into the mainstream for more adult audiences. Uh oh! Based on a uh, well-known or moderately well-known, very specific interest comic book. And they made a movie out of a sort of it called... It's a graphic novel. <laughs> sorry, graphic novel. <laughs> Heavy Metal. Heavy Metal? Heavy Metal, yep. What, you mean like lead? It's a movie about lead? No, <laughs> no, no, I'm talking about Strontium 90 or Bone Seekers. You know, real heavy metals. You know, how, do you, how do you animate lead? <laughs> <laughs> I don't get it. <laughs> <laughs> well, you use a lot of Devo music, so... <laughs> oh, cool. So yeah. if you want to watch lead and listen to Devo, you might want to tune in <laughs> next week. This has been a co-production of The Voice of Max and The Movie Wrench.